you have on top uh, handwriting specimen of Sebastian Nibbles from National Archive. You see Netaji whenever he used to insert something somewhere, he used to put a peculiar carrot mark. So you can see it here. And he pointed out among other things that this man used to make similar uh, similar mark. So the question is to be raised, why cannot we resolve the issue of Netaji's death by having a DNA test and on his remains? The answer is the government of India does not want it. Otherwise, everybody, I mean, not, not to speak of us, even those who support the plain cash theory, everybody, I mean, even Netaji's daughter with whom, with whom we have a lot of difference of opinion, everybody is asking for a DNA test. We all ask, we have been asking for a DNA test for such a long time. So we all of us want DNA test, but the government of India is not keen. Slight change in the result may create hue and cry. If the result is in positive, then the entire issue will be resolved. In case the result comes in negative, as to the DNA result does not tally with the biological samples connected with relatives, one can imagine the reaction of the nation. Uh, for me, the uh, most difficult thing is always how do I start? How do we begin? It's so, in a sense, so easy to talk about this case, but also difficult. This issue has been, you know, we have someone who's much more older than we are. This issue has been developing the past so many years now, you know, 70 plus years. So generations have gone by talking about and wondering what, what really happened to Sebastian Dribos. So this is, in a sense, it's so easy because you need, need not introduce people know about it already. They already know there's a mystery about Sebastian Dribos' death. But then there are so many complications in this case that then again becomes so difficult for us. More so when we have very limited time. How do we start? How do we, how do we go about it? I mean, in one and a half hours, what, what can I tell you about a story which has been running for 70 odd years? It's got multiple characters. So many events, two, three commission, committee of inquiry. Each slide requires half an hour attention. There are aspects which I would have to talk about for more than half an hour to even give you a basic inkling of that case. So, so, so tough. So, with that, uh, you know, pressure you know, weighing down on us, I start uh, this presentation about Kanandram Subhash Pose's Life After Death, which is a new book by Chandrachur Ghosh and myself. And which we, we, as far as we are concerned, this is the last word on the Netaji mystery. What you have been hearing for so many years, so many decades, people before us, this is the final game. This is the final, this is what, what really happened as far as we are concerned. Uh, we, I will not go back. I mean, I mean, I mean, the whole approach has been to look past from, from the present of, uh, prism of uh, present. And because so many things have happened in the last couple of years, so we need not go back in the Institute of the Story. We will start with something which happened in at least my time in 1990s and which was a basic big turning point in this entire case that there was a ruling by the Calcutta High Court. Somebody had moved the PIL and and, and then the, the High Court, Honorable High Court and Justice Papashan Kamishaji who is no more alive now, he was the Chief Justice of the, of the Calcutta High Court and they gave an order to the central government to set up a commission to find out what happened to Subhash Nibos. So the story in a sense starts in our time. So, so I am not going back to the days of 1670s. Maybe I'll reflect on those, but then we start from this point. So we had a commission of inquiry set up in 1999 at the behest of the, you know, of the Calcutta High Court. There was an order which the central government had to follow. The, uh, the view, the official view at that point of time when the commission order came was that Subhash Bos Netaji had died because of plane crash, which, which supposedly happened soon after the end of Second World War. We all know Netaji was you know, fighting on the Axis side, he was on the other side of the war. You had the Allied forces with the British and the Americans on one side, the Japanese and, and then, you know, you know, Italians and Germans on the other. And, uh, and Subhash and was of course chose the other side because they were the ones who probably could help us in attaining our freedom. 
the british were all set to keep their you know reign over india so nitaji went and joined you know the the other side he we all know of course what happened he escaped from india and then he was in germany and from germany he, he comes to southeast asia and he started this whole struggle he was probably aware that he was waging a maybe a psychological warfare because by that time he turned up showed up in southeast asia the tide of war had turned against the axis so they were fighting a lost battle in so to speak but then at the same time he had to do whatever he had to do there was no no going back so netaji's death happened on 18th of august the, the official view on 18th of august 1945 which is approximately 3 days after japanese announced they were going to surrender to the british so this was a very crucial time if he had not died uh, on let's say on 18th of august maybe next couple of days he would have been apprehended and everybody knew if he were apprehended he would be shot dead so this was a time in which it happened so this is the last picture of subhash chandra bose you see on the right side and of course this is how the news was broken in the uh, hindustan standard the leading newspapers in paper in calcutta in those days and then of course mukherjee commission had its inquiry running from 1999 to 2005 and the commission's finding was that men may lie but circumstances do not and he found out the uh, justice manoj kumar mukherjee who was the chairman of the, this commission of inquiry very honorable honest judge of the supreme court very good track record in case any of you has a legal background please go and find about this man's background honest man he ran his inquiry according to the to, to the rule book and he found out that you know the men may lie but circumstances do not and all the circumstantial evidence was going against a plain guy story and this is what he found out in his and he wrote in his report that the entire make believe story of the a crash netaji's death therein and his commission was engineered by the japanese army authorities to save subhash bose's life because they were his benefactor at the end of the day and in the course of the inquiry multiple thing because inquiry ran for on 5 6 years so the multiple thing which happened when this inquiry happened and one of this was that for some reason or the other the government of india was not never never wanting to inquire from the taiwanese what really had happened so for the first time a proper contact was established with the taiwanese government thanks to little role which i which i played as a hindustan times journalist and the taiwanese government the plane the, the plane crash had taken place in taipei and the taiwan government informed the mukherjee commission in the course of the inquiry there was no plane crash for about one and a half months in this entire area the only place plane crash which took place you know had some americans on board some pows and they died so they were really not in a position to say keep I mean, I mean of course they denied there was any plane crash so the story was turned on its head uh, before the mukherjee commission also uh, the commission this theory that uh, the according to the official view subhash bose died in a plane crash and he was body was cremated in taiwan and then the remains were taken to you know japan and they were put in a uh, you know in a place called renkoji temple and these ashes were of subhash chandra bose so justice mukherjee applied his mind to this entire episode and he came up with a finding that the the so called remains of subhash chandra bose are actually of a japanese soldier ichuro ukura whose death was passed off as nitaji's because they had to create a smoke screen so they took the body of a japanese soldier ichuro kora and according to justice mukherjee's report and we have many documents you know from the british side from the indian side from the japanese and even even you know taiwanese so to speak which talk of the same possibility that the uh, these are the remains of ichuro kora and uh, so these are according to justice mukherjee these are the remains of ichuro kora not of subhashan bose's all the same he tried his level best to get a dna test done and for the first probably the first proper effort was made to have a, a test done on these remains of uh, some humans you know which are kept in renkoji temple there's a little technicality a lot of people you know when they speak they say that netaji's ashes are lying in japan well they are lying in japan but 
the the position is ki they are in our custody so our ambassador in tokyo is in charge so if you want to have a dna test and it can be done tomorrow morning so nothing stopping us from doing so so these are not in the custody of japanese government they are very much in the custody of the indian government our ambassador is in charge the physical custody has been given to the renkoji temple priest who 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 will of course you know who has pro india feeling his father had pro india feeling and so on and so forth so justice mukherjee tried his level best and he had he asked many experts indian you know of course japanese british american all of them said ki you know dna is not possible because these are burnt remains so this whoever this person was he was cremated you know in a furnace of some sort and it is not possible to extract any dna from a burnt body all the same the american expert terry milton he was of the opinion that he can give and try and give it a shot he said ki i can try so terry milton said ki he can try and give it a shot he told commission to do a mitochondrial dna test of the on these remains to find out whether or not these are of sebastian rebozer means mitochondrial is something which comes from the mother's side so if you have some from the mother's lineage and which we had sample there were samples available from netaji's sister's side so from mother it goes to a daughter there is some technical you know uh, think about it so medical uh, that the from mother it goes to the daughter so in from subhash poses anybody from his sister's side would have the same thing so these blood samples from netaji's sister's side were available children of her sister's elder sister were there so he said i can the terry milton the terry milton terry milton the, the american expert said i can try and do a dna test mitochondrial provided you first do an anthropological evaluation of these these remains and anthropological evaluation would have told you whether or not these human remains whether or not these are indian or a japanese in origin in caucasian or somebody from africa so you actually don't need a dna test even anthropological test would tell you whose ashes these are and uh, so justice mukherjee conveyed the idea to the ministry of external affairs ki terry milton has agreed to do the dna test and all he wants is that you first run an anthropological evaluation on these remains and that is where the government of india clamped up so in if the question is to be raised why cannot we resolve the issue of netaji's death by having a dna test and on his remains the answer is the government of india does not want it otherwise everybody i mean not not to speak of us even those who support the plain cash theory everybody i mean even netaji's daughter with whom, with whom we have lot of differences of opinion everybody is asking for a dna test we all ask we have been asking for a dna test for such a long time so we all of us want dna test but the government of india is not keen why are they not keen the answer lies in one of the declassified files now this is a noting from 2003 when this demand was raised you know again again so this was the noting made this was the decision of course assessment made by the government by our government and it i quote from the official file of course it reads that um, uh, moreover slight change in the result may create hue and cry if the result is in positive then the entire issue will be resolved in case the result comes in negative as to the dna result does not tally with the biological samples connected with relatives one can imagine the reaction of the nation for a country which has been i mean for for a government which has been you know you know asserting for last 55 years or even more than that that neither these ashes are lying in japan and tokyo this is what their response was after when they were asked to do the dna test so you can make out for yourself that there is something terribly wrong with the government they probably know that these are not ashes otherwise i don't think so it would have it takes only 1 minute to do a dna test and as i said that the ashes are in the custody of the remains father are in the custody of the indian government if they want they can have the test done tomorrow morning we have nu- numerous cases in our country where even for local murder petty cases we have taken you know undertaken dna test or taken help from the 
in a foreign country. This is a very well-known case of the Bhamri Devi murder case in which the, Amer the American FBI was called in for help. So if this can be done for Bhamri Devi case, why not for Subhashan Dupo? So after all, he did so much for the country. So uh, Mukherjee commission, you know, you know, nothing about it. There was this commission set up on high court's order. And this commission functioned for almost five years. They did whatever they could. And they produced a report. And the report is given by a former Supreme Court of India judge. And the report comes and in 2006, by that time the report is out, the government of India in parliament rejects this report by issuing this action taken report or so-called action taken report without assigning any reason the report is rejected. Just think about it, had it been some other issue, you know, something else, some petty local murder case and if they had you know, run, behaved in such a way, what would have happened? The biggest problem for us, the lack of you know uh, support from media at least in those days the media was not interested about this case so they could get away with such a big thing i mean i, I will never forgive them for this you cannot dismiss a report of a commissioner of inquiry headed by a former supreme court judge or then the commissioner set up because of a high court order and you reject it without giving a reason i mean is it a joke or what so although the mukherjee commission was trying to find out the truth or otherwise behind the story of the plane crash that was not the only uh, angle that it was looking at. Of the various tasks handed over to the commission, one was also to find out that if the plane crash did not happen, which Justice Mukherjee ruled out, uh, what actually happened to him? Where did he die? Whether he was alive? For how many years was he alive? And in a country like India, it doesn't take long to form stories. Right from 1946, or even from the end of 1945, when the story of uh, so-called death in the plane crash came in, stories started forming, myths started forming. Netaji was cited every other month somewhere, sometime in Patna, sometime in Calcutta, sometime in Bombay, sometime in some other country. The stories kept piling up. And all these stories, not all of them, but many of them came in front of the inquiry commissions and the committees that looked into the matter. Some stories came in front of the Shanovas Committee in 1956. A lot of them came into the, uh, in front of the Commission of Inquiry led by Justice G.D. Khoshla in, uh, from 1970 to 74. And a few of them came in front of Justice Mukherjee as well. Now, most of these stories were ruled out of hand by Justice Mukherjee. He could figure out that these are theories coming from crackpots and there is no merit in any of them. The problem was with one theory, with one story. A few people from Faizabad approached Justice Mukherjee, telling him about a remarkable man, an unusual story. The story of a man who never showed his face to people outside where he lived. He always lived behind a curtain. He lived in Uttar Pradesh, various places in Uttar Pradesh for a number of years, nearly three decades. Met with a lot of people who were former revolutionaries from Bengal, who were revolutionaries associated with the Anusilan Samiti, revolutionaries associated with Sri Sangha. These were renowned revolutionaries. Now, why were these revolutionaries going to meet all the way to Uttar Pradesh from Bengal? This unknown man who was living in the disguise of a holy man, uh, never showed his face, talked from behind a curtain, lived, remained confined within a, a few rooms. And so what was the connection? 
The connection became clear after the death of the man in 1985. When the room of the person was opened, of this holy man was opened, people were stunned. Nearly 7,000 items were recovered from his residence. Hundreds of books, thousands of letters, documents, airmails, stamps, cigars, binoculars, military binoculars, military gloves, INA uniform, glasses, exactly the type worn by Netaji Subhaspos. People were stunned. And when the, they started digging, the first methodical investigation was taken up by the Northern India Patrika. And when they went back digging into the past of this man, they un uncovered layer after layer of this man's history. They couldn't find out everything. They were not aware of the man's connection with the revolutionary uh, societies of Bengal. They were not aware of the dynamics of Bengal politics. So they couldn't figure out the whole story. But they put a large number of pieces together and came to the conclusion that this man could not have been anybody else but Subhas Bose. This was in 1986. In 1986, something else also happened at the same place where this man was living. The Ram Janambhumi Babri Masjid order came in and the issue was swept away. This issue was building up. The Ram Janambhumi Babri Masjid issue totally covered this up and it was forgotten forgotten for nearly 15 more years and then it came up. Justice Mukherjee took a lot of interest. He went to Faizabad, looked into the belongings of the holy man and he himself was overwhelmed. He collected, he found a few uh, samples of teeth also, seven. And uh, Anuj was actually the person who found the seven teeth in a kept in a matchbox and handed it over to Justice Mukherjee. DNA test was run on those teeth samples. Handwriting test was done on the writing samples of the holy man compared with Netaji's handwritings. And again something strange happened. Justice Mukherjee sent the DNA samples to be tested in two government labs. And the handwriting samples were sent to two government experts and another independent expert. While the independent expert ran thorough huge amount of tests and came to the conclusion that there were the handwriting of the same person, the government labs said that the DNA of the teeth found in Faisabad do not match with the DNA of Netaji's family and the handwriting samples don't match. Justice Mukherjee was stuck. So he had to rule, he was forced to rule that this person could not have been Netaji. But he also could not ignore the sheer volume of circumstantial evidence that had come his way. So he said there is no reason not to rely upon the evidence that have come from those who knew Netaji, who had met this person who was given the moniker Gumnami Baba by the press later. 
There is no reason to disbelieve them. We are talking about stalwarts of the Bengal Revolutionary Movement. We are talking about people like Leela Ray. We are talking about people like Kovitra Monrai, who was Netaji's uh, intelligence officer. Kovitra Monrai was sent from Southeast Asia, handpicked by Netaji, to come to India and run his covert operations in 1944. He was arrested later, he was sentenced to death, and at the fag end of the Second World War, he was uh, released. He was lucky not to have been hanged. So we're, talk we're talking about several other names, names which you might not be familiar with, but they are big names in Bengal revolutionary past. There is, he found that there is no reason not to disbelieve or not to uh, believe them. But his hands were tied. Probably he couldn't live with that. So about five years later, five years after his report was out and he came out with the judgment that uh, he couldn't accept that Gumnami Baba and Netaji were the same person. He happened to talk to a few people, give an interview. And while the camera was rolling and his interview was over, he just kept talking. In 2006, Amlan Ghosh, a documentary filmmaker, caught this shocking confession on camera. Believe me, Avangiri personally bought it. not be quoted. Hold on, I am 100% sure the uni hat. I am 100% sure the uni hat. Amader ta ekta sensible view nite hobe. Eta 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 100% sure. So the camera was on and we were discussing many things. Of course, uh, only about Netaji and his you know mysterious disappearance and specially uh, about his possible stay in Faisalabad. Caught on the wrong end of the debate, Justice Mukherjee's personal views has raised an uncomfortable question. Could the man in Faizabad be Subhash Chandra Bose? So, he had to take a sensible view. His hands were tied, as I said. Otherwise, he was 100% sure. But that was his unofficial uh, acknowledgement. It had no legal value. We could not take it forward. We could not take it to the court. And he hadn't written it in his report. And the report anyway was rejected by the government. So we were in a fix. While we carried on with our uh, uh, mission to get documents declassified and uh, succeeded to some extent, to a great extent in the fact, uh, by 2010, we had got uh, the first lot of declassification done, thousands of documents the UP, through the UP government. This case took a positive turn in 2013. When the Allahabad High Court took up the, an age-old case and passed a verdict, the Allahabad High Court, the Lucknow bench of the Allahabad High Court looked into the case and said, well, this is something remarkable. What we need to do is, first of all, to preserve all those more than 7,000 items recovered from his residence, from Gumnami Baba's residence in Faizabad, and possibly transfer them into a museum. These items need to be preserved for the posterity. Number one. Number two, the court said 
that the government should immediately set up a commission of inquiry to find out and establish without any doubt the identity of this man. Now, the remarkable thing about this court case is that it was filed way back in 1986 by none other than Netaji's own niece, Netaji's elder brother's daughter, Lalita Bose. Lalita Bose, hearing about, getting to hear about uh, Gumnam Yuaba's story, she went down to Lucknow, to Faizabad. She ran from pillar to post, met the chief minister, met the district administration, tried her best to get the case resolved. But there was no response. There was a stony silence all over. Everybody refused to cooperate. She had no choice. She had no option other than approaching the court. She approached the court asking for a resolution, asking to be asking for the identity of the man to be determined and his items to be preserved. Within one day, the court gave the order. And from 1986 till 2013, when the court heard the case or the items were still lying in the treasury. So the courts asked the government. The government, as usual, takes time to move. Sometimes you can never figure out whether it wants to do anything or not. So things were not moving. So we approached the UP government. We went and met uh, after three years. When after three years nothing had happened, we went and met the then Chief Minister Akhilesh Yadav. He gave us a patient hearing. He spent nearly two hours with us and uh, heard everything and took quite a bit of personal interest into it. So he passed the order of setting up the museum. He sanctioned the amount needed for the museum in his next budget and also ordered setting up of the inquiry committee. But the way things stand today is no better. Things haven't moved really. The museum is set up. A few items have been selected and put up in the museum. The museum is ready. But since 2016, this is 2019, half of it is gone. The museum is still not open for public viewing. And the commission which was set up, a one-man judicial commission, it just called for depositions. It called for affidavits. Collected whoever went to the commission and sub uh, submitted their affidavits made a compilation of them and submitted some report to the government never conducted any inquiry or investigation of its own the whole story was in front of the commission we gave the commission all the background that it required all it needed was the intent it had everything right there in lucknow under the control of the state administration if it had wanted it could have solved the case within one year it didn't want to and it didn't happen it the commission ran for one and a half years but the report is also not out. So usually the law is that uh, within six months of submission of a commission's report, the report has to be tabled. The report is still not tabled. We went and met the subsequent chief minister, Yogi Adityanath. He promised to cooperate. But again, I mean, we are still waiting. These are some of the items which were recovered from the residence of Gumnami Baba. As you can see, I mean, most of these items, the books you see, uh, most of the most of them are related either to the freedom struggle, or to the Second World War, or to India's foreign policy, India's wars in after 1945. On the right hand side of the screen, if you look, you will find 
pictures of Netaji's parents. This man meticulously collected pictures of, his, of Netaji's parents. Now who would do that? He asked his associates to collect family pictures and send them to him. He would frame them, keep them with him, worship them, do puja regularly. These are items, the glasses you can see, the spectacles, these are exactly as what Netaji used to wear. The wristwatches, the pipes, the smoking pipes, these are all pointing to one person. Anybody looking at this, and now although the museum is not open, we have had the good fortune to go and see the museum. And if you look at items preserved in the museum, huge maps by the Survey of India, a person who is really concerned about logistics, about military movement, about India's coastal security, about border security, only that kind of person would be studying that kind of maps. Nobody else, not some four-second Baba. There are hundreds and thousands of Babas who live here and there everywhere. This is not some God-forsaken reclusive Baba we are talking about. This is just a blow-up of these items. So, we understood in 2016 that things are not going to move the way we want. So, we took it up upon ourselves. Anuj and I had a chat and we decided that whatever information that we have been able to collect through our investigation of nearly 15 years, we will put that out through a book. We will challenge the, the story given out by the government by the negative evidences that are standing on the way of reaching a conclusion and if possible, we will conduct our own forensic investigation. That was a tall order, unthinkable. We are men with very, very modest means. But we took up the challenge and we started on the way. Now, the book is out. Hopefully, many of you will read it. It, for the first time, establishes without any doubt the identity of who Gumnami Baba was and presents the full story of which only bits and pieces were known till now. I mean, to present the story in a very brief manner, the story erupted in 1985. As I said, the Northern Indian Pachika published a series of investigative articles and reached the conclusion that this person was none other than Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. But what we discovered once we started getting access to classified files, once we started getting them declassified right from 2007, is that this story was known to the government of India from 1962. How? 1962, one person goes to Nimsa for recovering his health. He was on a tour. This person happened to be an old revolutionary from Kolkata with connections to the Bose family. He meets a holy man, exactly as the description is, who lives in a temple, doesn't show his face to anybody, barely talks to anyone. And whenever he talks, he talks across the curtain. He meets this guy and uh, tells him about his past background, about his revolutionary past, about politics in Bengal, what happened, 
that led to the partition and things that nobody else could have known other than Bose. How a man comes back, rushed back to Kolkata and tells the story to his revolutionary group. They get together and reach him. Even that is not easy. That was not easy. It took a lot of time, a few months to actually get access to him, to be able to just talk to him. Once the connection was established, that connection continued till 1985, till this man was alive. The man kept moving. First, we get to know of his existence in Mainpuri. From Mainpuri, he moves to Lucknow. In Lucknow, he was proposed a security cordon by the chief minister and his associates. The chief minister at the time was Dr. Sampunanand, known to be kind of anti-Nehru group in the, within the Congress. So Dr. Sampunanand, Dr. Kamalapati Tripathi, all these people were in touch with him at that time. From Lucknow, he again moves away to Nimsar. From Nimsar, he comes back to Ayodhya, from Ayodhya to Basti, from Basti to Faizabad. So everywhere he goes, at the slightest chance of his identity being unmasked, at the cover of the night, he leaves that place. Shifts to another place, at a moment's notice. And everywhere he is helped by these revolutionary associates. From the notes that we recovered, we were able to get access to, we find that this man, a holy man living somewhere in remote corner of the country is surprisingly informed about what is going on in world politics. Not informed as in what is published in newspaper. He is informed about things that are never published in newspapers or magazines or journals. He knows what happened in a cabinet meeting a few days ago. He is describing how Nehru and Shama Prasad Mukherjee fought over some uh, the Nehru, the Liakat Pact and how they came nearly to blows. This account comes out many years later in public. This is not supposed to be known by some recluse. He knows what is being discussed between the heads of state, between the uh, premier of Soviet Union with the president of Egypt. He is giving it out to his closest associates. He is talking about what happened during the Indochina war, how he had to intervene. He is talking about strategy during the 1965 war. He is talking strategy about 1971 war. And strategy as not as what happened and his post analysis, it's, he is leaving hints as to what is going to happen. So here we have a remarkable person. As I said, he was in touch with very few select top politicians of the country at, of the day. And uh, already told you about nearly 7,000 items that have been recovered. So this, in short, is the story of the enigma, Gumnami Baba. And this is the person whom we followed through documents, through personal accounts, eyewitness accounts, and every possible bit and piece of evidence that we could lay our hands on for 15 years and finally reached the conclusion. So among other many, many you know, pe you know, important people who were in contact with this person, uh, Guru Golwalkar Ji was the person because of whom, the second Sarsang Chala of RSS, because of whom you can say the BJP was able to form a government for, say, under Mr. Vajpayee and of course now the president government.
all the i mean uh, you cannot compare of course dr hedge or anything but he was a man who built up the sang and he brought it to such a level so this was for example one of the letter discovered in among the belongings of uh, bhagwan ji or gumnami baba as he is known now and the manner in which because i showed it this letter to some somebody who was a direct disciple of uh, guru ji he said this is his handwriting there is no dispute about it in fact i tried to find out whether there is any correspondence there in the sang headquarters so i was given to understand ki during emergency they destroyed lot of sensitive papers so there is nothing left anyhow see the manner of writing the way he is addressing and talking about him ki aapke charnon mein you know shatash uh, pranam 100 times i bow before you and he is literally taking orders from this man and this is happening at a time when um, golwalkar ji was having i believe cancer he was not well he died a few months after this letter was written and when he did die when he died uh, this uh, recluse gumnami baba as we know him now he said very clearly ki no one will ever know or understand what a loss this has been for me personally because whatever the work i am doing for the motherland he has been a great help to me and among other things i mean i was you know wondering because ratan ji is here sir he mentioned uh, to to bring it to your notice because you have mentioned something like in your book also he mentioned that i conveyed to labadu shastri through certain means don't go to tashkan it's a trap and somehow you are saying ki that in your book you're writing that guruji conveyed to uh, try to convey to shastri ji don't go to tashkan so i see do see uh, some kind of uh, if i want to connect the dots so this is how things are but i also find very amusing in, in in some places because many people i meet even in sang this you know we have never heard we are not aware of it and probably they have no interest in this case but at the same time at least sudarshan ji was very vocal about it so many people in the sang they don't want to talk about it today they are probably more interested in some members of netaji's family who are die hard communist all their lives and but it is a matter of you know public knowledge that sudarshan ji was very vocal about it within the you know sang hierarchy so talk about it but since people have been asking me what proof do you have i thought let me get a video back and show it to you so this is what sudarshan ji had to say और उसके बाद 1954 में भारत आ गए और भारत में अयोध्या के आसपास बिजनौर इत्यादि क्षेत्र के अंदर वो गुमनामी बाबा के नाते से रहे तो कोई नहीं देख सकता था उनको सो इफ दिस इज ऑल हैपनिंग एंड यू नो इफ सो मेनी पीपल आर अवेयर ऑफ दिस पर्सन यू नो एंड इज मीटिंग यू नो चीफ मिनिस्टर्स एंड व्हाट नॉट एंड सो मीटिंग हैपनिंग वी हैव बीन हियरिंग सो मेनी सो मेनी थिंग्स अबाउट हिम पीपल फ्रॉम इंटेलिजेंस कमिंग पीपल फ्रॉम द एडमिनिस्ट्रेशन कमिंग द एसपीओस कमिंग द एसएचओस कमिंग एंड द मिनिस्टर्स आई नो somebody has even taken over pana mukherjee that he also visited him and so on so forth so was not government aware i mean what was the intelligence machinery doing if this was happening this, i mean if you have a baba living in india today let's say in this place called basti where he was living in 60s suppose you have a news in the local uh, police um, um, uh, station that he subscribed to time magazine the ib will have a raid in the evening which baba subscribed time magazine in basti and you are talking about 1960s a person is reading you know readers digest time magazine all newspapers organizer to you know indian express and all kind of you know he has uh, charles dickens the entire collection he is ordering pg woodhouse the entire collection he is you know, going through so this is this these sort of things don't happen to babas in up so government must have been aware i mean of course this he cannot escape the radar well he did not what what we can show of course indirectly this is a story which made netaji a big story 2015 in that today cover story that subhashchandra bose was being followed by the government of india 
so the story which came out was on the on the lines ki his family was being chased no it's not the family in fact it was happening all over the country they were chasing each and every one who was linked to subhashan bose even journalists who were taking interest in him so the reason which was very clear the entire media reported that and this is i'm we are all showing all things from the, the 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 mainstream newspapers these are not tabloids these are major name mainstream newspapers in that today congress was scared of bose's return why would they be scared of a man who died in 1945 and this is what the the bjp in those days openly said the m jagbar was the uh, bjp spokesperson there was only one reasonable explanation for all this long surveillance the government was not sure whether bose was dead and thought if he were alive he would be in some form of com- communication with his family in calcutta so this was the reason why this scooping you know was happening for so many years so many decades the same assessment was made by the chief minister of his bengal when she made no bones about it he might have been alive that's why he was being chased So if that is that, then then we come back to the Justice Mukherjee Commission of Inquiry about which Chandu just told you about. Is that there was a, some forensic tests were conducted there, and these were the handwriting test and the the DNA test. Now the DNA test, of course, these are this is pure science. I mean, you would say, my God, this is a story in front of you that Gunmani Baba is not Netaji. It is CFS an extensive report. Why should we even question it? Because it's pure science. Why should even question it? I mean, question. I mean, doesn't stand to reason. If you have a DNA report in favor or against something, I mean, I, I mean, you cannot question it. I mean, it's pure science. But we tend to forget uh, more than science. There's something else which is all, more, all the more powerful. And this, these are not my words. This is uh, uh, Times of India. India among most corrupt countries. You know, said Mr. Advani. Uh, I've been live. Walmart flags. India, China's corrupt nations. India fourth most corrupt nation survey. If we all know that you all you have to give people money and they'll give you whatever they you like. We all have this Aadhaar card. Somebody probably gave money and he got Aadhaar card in the name of Lord Hanuman also. Somebody, I think, if I'm not wrong, I read somewhere that they even issued a certificate, driving license for President Barack Obama. It has happened in the case of DNA also, by the way. There's no science. It's all political science. The mother of all sciences. Paul Wells was a was a very a British national kidnapped in, in Jammu and Kashmir. some body some remains were found a dna test was done by the cfsl calcutta they said that the remains are of mr paul wells subsequently the same remains were tested by the you know the, the british in london they said the test is not his so if i offer to you both the reports one report given by the british side the other one given by the indian side which one would you believe i don't think anybody is going to believe the indian report that's why every time there's a controversy in our country there's any forensic test involved we always run to the western countries Shashi Tharoor says even the Vaisra sample, everything, the all test happened in London. Why not in Delhi? We have the best because everybody is aware it's not very difficult to change a court in our country. It's happened, you know, recently the Delhi High Court. Now this is mind you, Delhi, the capital of India. Delhi High Court has actually ordered a CBI inquiry because in the Delhi forensic lab they take money and they change DNA reports. So the inquiry is ongoing. So this is this is the case of you know the forensic lab in our country. You can get the reports changed. There's no big deal about it. Concerning the the Gumnami Baba case, we have some clear you know uh, clues. So I will will go through them quickly. They were as as, as earlier said that there were seven teeth located in Fazabad. Assumption was that these teeth were of Gumnami Baba's, and these were given for testing to first CDFD Hyderabad. Now CDFD Hyderabad you know gave this report and it was conclusive. They said we tried to extract some DNA out of these teeth, but we couldn't. So we tried the two teeth and nothing came out. So the report is inconclusive. In the meanwhile, I know because I was following the journalist, there was a telephone call, and they said that the DNA has matched. But when the report was given, it said inconclusive. 
So we ran this report through an expert in who's currently in, uh, of course, uh, uh, Stanford University in America. And he said, this is very strange. I have not, I mean, if they had seven teeth and they're claiming, ki, you know, they tried to extract DNA from two teeth, but they couldn't get more. You had the five more samples available to you. So his assessment is that the test was most likely politically conjugated to truncate this normal interference, which he can't make out. So there's something wrong with the DNA report. Now, I link it to another case which happened recently, the Arushi Talwar case or Hemraj murder, Arushi Talwar murder case. The Allahabad High Court in his judgment has indicted the same CDFD and the same expert Mr. Prasad. They produced a report initially saying that there was some pillow located in some place and there was DNA of Hemraj on that pillow. Afterwards, they changed that report. He said, no, there's some typographical involved. See, the court in its orders is saying that the report was changed at the behest of the CBI. So if you can do such tinkering with reports at the behest of the CBI, we are talking about Subhashandra Bose here. There are going to be huge political ramification of this case. And then we have a very interesting case whereby, you know, in other countries, especially in the West, you do a DNA test today and the report comes after six months. But in India, there was a marvel of science that before conducting DNA test, you had the report out. <laughs> So the first clue that we got that there is something wrong with the DNA tests is from Justice Mukherjee himself. And this happened much before his uh, words were caught inadvertently in the camera. When uh, Anush and I met separately with him and to both of us and to people who have met him subsequently, he doesn't hide the fact that he was told that there was a DNA match and later the results were changed. So he is very clear. He is sending a message that there is something wrong. But he won't tell us what to do. We asked for his help but he refused because he was a judge. He presided over the commission and now he cannot go back and change his stance and act against the commission over which he presided. So we had to do what we had to do. Now the first evidence that comes to us was a shocker. Ananda Bazaar Patrika is the leading Bengali newspaper in the country. In December 2003, in the center page, it published this news item prominently. It says, among other things, that the government has tested the DNA samples of the teeth and they have not matched. This is December 2003. Till then, only the CDFD results were, uh, tests were conducted and those were inconclusive. There was no question of matching or not matching. Inconclusive. Inconclusive does not mean it matched or it did not match. We, don't, we didn't know. That's what inconclusive means. That the DNA samples have not matched was known after six months. In June 2004, when Justice Mukherjee opened the confidential reports from CFSL. Now the big question is, how did Anandabhaza Patrika know about it? Six months ahead of time. We have come with three possibilities. One, Anandabhaza Patrika reporters are capable of doing time travel. So they went six months ahead, found out what is going to be the results and published it. Second, they are holders of some psychic powers. <laughs> they know what's going to happen in future. They can sit in the desk and know. 
And the third, if you don't like any of these options, is that a fraud was committed. Now you have to choose the most logical and scientific option. For us, the most logical and scientific option is that a fraud was committed. There can't be any other option. Now, knowing this, we approached the CFSL. We asked for the details. What details? Now, when DNA analysis is done, all these are automated. I mean, DNA are not like rice grains that you sit and compare and take photographs. And DNA is automated process, DNA analysis. The sequence is analyzed, they're compared. So, in the process, when the DNA sequencing is done, there is a chart, automated uh, machine generated chart that comes out. It's called electropherogram. The analysis is done on the basis of that electropherogram. It's like any other, uh, say if, if, you, if, if, you, if you doubt that there is some problem in your body, you want to get some blood test done, there will be a blood test report. If you want to get an x-ray done, there is an x-ray report. With those reports, you go to the doctor, the doctor interprets those reports and tells you what's wrong with you. If you're not happy with the doctor, you take the same reports, go to another doctor to get a second opinion. So we asked for this electrophotogram. We told us, you give us the electrophotogram, let us get it checked through other experts. They said, we, we can't give you. I said, why? Because this is confidential, this, is, this belongs to third party and this cannot be shared. Now, what is confidential about a person who is some recluse, some Baba, whose identity is also not known, he is definitely not Subhash Bose, as you have <coughs> already uh, told. What is the confidential? Whose confidentiality is it? Confidentiality of a person whose identity is not known? I mean, does that sound fantastic? We are asked again, please give us. So, no, we cannot. So, it's clear that they are trying to suppress that information. Without electrophorogram, this result cannot be verified. Now, here's the fun part. There are a lot of people who are vociferously shouting in favor of the DNA test results given out by the CFSL. For instance, the family members of Netaji, the current generation family members, they are saying, no, it's scientifically proved that DNA results are there, so Gumnami Baba cannot be Netaji. There are some other experts also, people whom, for, we, for whom we have high regards, like uh, General Jiri Bakshi. We don't always agree with him, but we have high regards for him. Now, he is also forwarding this argument that since the DNA have not matched, we cannot accept. Now, we would ask them definitely then that please get us the electrophorogram. Get it attested that the electrophorogram is, has been correctly interpreted by CFSL and get it verified by another expert, a second expert, an independent expert. We would like to see that. And unless that can be done, this report does not stand. This cannot be accepted. This is fraud. So these two angles put together completely destroys the sole scientific basis on which Justice Mukherjee had to reject the identity of Gumnami Baba. So, this is the copy of the electrophorogram, the RTI which we had filed and this is their response. 
the information pertains to third party and confidential in nature of confidential because it belongs to somebody we do not know who the the other other reason why that this is the commission of inquiry could not reach a conclusion about of course uh, this man's identity was that they were handwriting experts opinion which went against him so essentially there were two different handwriting experts uh, rather three of them were given and uh, the thing about the handwriting experts opinion ki they give you reasons why i am i am giving this you know this verdict so to speak so you go to an expert so he'll give you he will analyze your handwriting and then he'll give you in writing he will detail he'll make a case okay this is how this handwriting is matching and this is how the handwriting is not matching so the uh, first report was given by the central government expert and this is under ministry of home affairs which was indicted by the mukherjee commission in report for not cooperating with it by the way and they gave around 24 instances it's i think it's not more than one and a half page maybe one page if not more than that so they gave 24 instances look there are certain alphabets which are not matching with subhash chandra bose so this man is not netaji the 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 local the the uh, uh, state government handwriting expert report given by dr mandal who i believe is right now either number 1 or 2 there was a complete joke he assigns no reason whatsoever for making his you know uh, conclusion that this man is not subhash chandra bose you are supposed to give reasons i mean anybody who has experience of law here when you give a report and handwriting expert has to give a re- give a reason why does he think that this man this report is correct or not the independent expert on the other hand made a very detailed you know case and his report was supported by 460 large size pictures this huge and these pictures all the alphabets in english and bengali all matching so so you compare 24 instances in one and a half page and these are 460 images they were carried in boxes before the commission and he made a most detailed case that this person handwriting in both english and bengali are subhash bose handwriting and this was mr bilal kapoor no more lifetime achievement award for forensic sciences 87th indian science congress in 2000 he was a top government man before retiring he was a boss of the people who had given the report former boss of theirs and among other things in the report he wrote this that there is such a faithful reproduction of some peculiarities that even a gap of time to the extent of decades cannot hide them you can barely make out who's watching reports and who's gumami baba this was one instance which we particularly highlighted to me you have on top uh, handwriting specimen of subhash nibos from national archive you see netaji whenever he used to insert something somewhere he used to put a peculiar caret mark so you can see it here any pointed out among other things that this man used to make similar some uh, similar mark so the multiple this is a very, very scientific process the whole thing is on all the same uh, when we got to you know work on this issue once more and uh, together and then we thought ki look dna we cannot have it done again because the teeth must have been contaminated and we did not have teeth with us so but we did have a lot of handwriting samples he said we ideally we would have gone to some other country and get an independent dna test done if we had the electrophorogram we would have sent to america and get it tested once more because i don't trust people in this country we don't trust them but we could try and do a handwriting test so we sought help from outside and these two uh, individuals deepak jawan ji and abhishek bose both indian americans they came out the help and they offered to locate some good experts and they uh, uh, made their own search and came up with the name of kurt badger who is a leading expert of handwriting in america very experienced man 40 years 5000 plus cases he has deposed before you know all courts of law and across american states 50 of them and the uh, <coughs> washington dc area 
he has been on television as part of very famous television show csi crime scene investigation has been on all tv channels and he has been trained he has a US, us army background the good thing about him he was not told whose handwriting samples were being given to him for testing he did not even know who chandrachand chandrachur ghosh so it was deepak nejawan and abhishek both approached him not not deepak ji approached him our name came in the picture much later on and we supplied him some samples of subhash bose's handwriting from the netaji search bureau and some samples of bhagwanji gumnami baba this is for example an 1963 letter which gumnami baba so called wrote to pavitra mohan roy so this was one of the samples given to the expert for the it what it reads very interesting it's it he is talking about his past and he is recalling what had happened in you know, when he left india he has i mean he's talking about he's looking back he's calling him in 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 uh, second person he has no rancor for bapu and the bapu and congress thought thought otherwise your dead man has no rancor because bapu at last turned a world face and preached fighting for freedom and honor and because hearing and becoming stimulated and emboldened by the radio exhaustion of your dead man that means myself your dead man means me and my in my past he stoutly opposed partition and during the last fateful meeting he wept like a child before them so this is the handwriting sample and just reading a part of it so this is we provided to cut budget for for match or no match with subhashan bose handwriting but mr budget was not aware this is concerned subhashan bose and he was obviously not not aware of what mummy baba is or he is not even aware of what anush dharan chandrachur ghosh what who we are he was he was only concerned with two samples given to him by certain deepankar jawan sitting in kentucky and then he tried his best he has given a very detailed report 59 and 60 pages he followed the same method which the american fbi follows so there's a peer review the report is checked by another expert so he did everything which the indian expert did not do I mean, I would like in in the you know you know in near future somebody should go to Mr. Mandal in Calcutta, put some you know some some television crew should go to him and ask him question that you gave this report without assigning any reason. Now your grandfather in America has given this report in detail. Now tell me what do I do with you? <laughs> Under whose instruction did you pass this kind of give this report? It this is a conspiracy. Mr. Mandal has to explain. so this was a report given by kurt budget he said ki based on a significant number of similarities and identification identifiable handwriting characteristic among the question handwriting it is my professional expert opinion that the same person authored the handwriting it is the same person writing and he says very clearly that i am willing to depose before any court of law because that's how reports are given he will defend his report in a court because that's he's been doing all his life so this takes where this proof i mean if we had access to the electroferrogram we would have the similar report from america because all these lab being run by the government here they are going to give you exactly the same story which government wants them to give so summing up what we have for the in favor of the plane crash story which has been championed by the government of india from 1945 and what we have now today in 2019 so we just compare and going through all the intelligence reports all the commission of inquiry reports which upheld the story of netaji's death in 1945 in the plane crash we find the source here in one letter by pandit jawaharlal nehru written in 1962 netaji's elder brother suresh chandra bose asked him that if you are so so convinced about my brother's death give me the proof i would like to see the proof So Pandit Ji wrote back to him. You asked me to send you proof of death of Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. I cannot send you any precise and direct proof. Is clear. 
but all the circumstantial evidence that has been produced which has been referred to in the inquiry committee's report has convinced us so his conviction is based on only circumstantial evidence and since panditji wrote down the rule that he is convinced by circumstantial evidence subsequent indian governments bureaucracy and judicial commissions they have followed the same path nobody has deviated on the contrary here in the gumnami baba story now we have direct forensic evidence which contradicts the plane crash story we have oral evidence we have documentary evidence in essence we have all kinds of evidence that is required to establish a case which the story of plane crash does not have never had so pandit nehru's 1962 story can continue in the government circles but now it stands to be challenged and we do plan to approach the court with all the evidence that we have been able to gather <laughs> now the story is very complicated and very big in the book which is about 860 pages only one question takes up more than 200 pages and that question is something that logically follows that if the so called gumnami baba was netaji why didn't he come out can you even imagine a man as courageous as bold a world revolutionary who took on the british empire who took on the congress leadership move from one continent to another without any resources built up armies from the ground challenge the british empire will that man keep sitting hiding in some obscure corner obscure town in uttar pradesh is it even conceivable it's not so we have to find the answers i will not go into the details because that will take another couple of hours but just touch upon the possibilities and these possibilities these theories come from gumnami baba or bhagwan ji as his followers and associates used to address him his own writings his letters we have scrutinized the documents that were available and uh, we found these possibilities the first possibility that he talked about was that his coming out was not in the interest of india that india would become the center of third world war possibly he indicated that he was a war criminal he was still a war criminal in the records of the allied powers that's one big chunk of evidence there now the government has the indian government has always denied the war criminal angle they have said that there is no record they have talked to foreign governments the british government the uh, american government have always told our government that he is not his name is not on the records pandit nehru starting from pandit nehru till our present governments everybody has said that it is not possible that his name is there as a war criminal and even if he was sometime treated as war criminal we would not give him up there's a sort of a stalemate there until we started research on this book we found a file from our national archives a file of 1949 vintage 1949 1951 sorry a question was 55 55 sorry a question was asked in the lok sabha about the status of netaji as a war criminal 
and the query was pushed back to AME, Ministry of External Affairs and Prime Minister's office. Files go round and round. In one of those files, we found a noting by Panditji's biographer, Sarvapalli Gopal, son of Sarvapalli Radhakrishnan. All files related to this issue about Subhas Bose have been destroyed in 1949. 47. 49. So, I mean, what are we talking about? Till now, we knew that destruction of Netaji's related files started in 1972 during the Indira Gandhi regime. Now we discover that destruction of Netaji related files actually started in 1949 during Panditji's regime when India was not even a republic, it was still a dominion. So what is being hidden? What, do we, what don't we know? What are we not told about? What is all this secrecy about? This needs to come forward. It's an issue that needs to be taken up and debated and which we will. But this is only one angle. The other angle of why he didn't want to come out or why he, didn't, which, why he chose not to step out was that he was extremely spiritually inclined and he actually formally took sannyas. He didn't want to come back to politics or to a family life or to social life. Whatever he did, whatever his involvement with politics was, he was detached. He didn't want to come out and claim power for himself. He remained on the sidelines, guided, talked to people, whether they listened to him or not. In Shastriji's case, as Anuj referred to, that he had advised that call all the parties to Delhi. Don't go to Tashkent. That was his instruction. There were many other. He was his involvement in many other uh, events. <coughs> plenty of uh, evidences are there. But he didn't want to come out and claim power for himself. He didn't want to become the prime minister or the president of the country. He had taken the path of Sanders. That's another angle, another possibility. The third possibility is that he was so disgusted with Indian politics. And he wrote that Indian politics, it stinks. All we have are petty politicians. India lacks statesmen. Statesmen are a rarity in the world, but India doesn't have even one. It stinks. He was completely disgusted with the political scenario. But where this all? Or there, was there something else? We started looking. Are we missing out on anything? Obviously, it, it was clear. I mean, he had gone through some change. His personality had changed. His ideology had undergone a lot of transformation. In his own words, I have undergone metamorphosis. Don't try to judge me at present through what you know of me in the past. I have undergone metamorphosis. What we found out while looking for the unknown angle were some anomalies. And those are heartbreaking. We found very basic mistakes basic mistakes in writing in syntax in grammar now netaji was a top ranker in ics in 1921 he was the first in uh, english composition a person like that does not make basic grammatical mistakes a person like that does not make spelling mistakes even more 
he was making mistakes about referring back to his past life he was making mistakes about the year of his mother's death he was making mistakes about uh, his horoscope his birth chart there were many other instances so when we started putting those things together we found that well we are looking at a person whose three distinct personality traits are visible and and those three distinct personality traits of being a pol- pers- political superman who is moving around the world controlling things or doing a lot of things for india a spiritual high level spiritual person who has reached the level of probably a maharshi and he was also in a very dire state so these three things don't gel and he was making basic mistakes in writing and talking in referring back to uh, past he was showing signs of megalomania he was showing signs of grandeurs of delusion one of the things he said that hiroshima and nagasaki were bombed because the allied powers wanted to destroy me they wanted to kill me we went through all the records all records are available now but there is no sign of that there is no evidence available he claimed his involvement in the vietnam war there is we asked the us department of defense we asked the other departments of the us government about records availability nothing his name does not feature anywhere so was he imagining things or at least partly could there have been something wrong could something have gone wrong so we started tried tracing back i mean once he escaped the southeast asian war theater he did go to the soviet russia he did go to soviet union and when one of his associates later asked him that how did they treat you he said they didn't treat him like we treat our son in laws in our country from other letters we find that he was imprisoned and tortured in russia in russia in soviet union could that have led to trauma related problems psychological problems and if they did he was acutely aware of it and that would certainly certainly be a case which would stop him a person acutely aware and sensitive of his image not to step out although he might have had all other powers supremely talented person all other heightened powers in front of him people are like dwarfs but even then he would not step out because it's curtailing his normal flow of operation there are indicators so we try to look for uh verifications if if anybody else could talk about this or if we could find some support about this now this is what we found in 1970 netaji's wife emily shinkel told netaji's grand nephew surya kumar bose who lived in germany who lives in germany that she had heard from a german historian that netaji was imprisoned in russian prison was being tortured being poisoned and he was slowly losing his senses 
This is what she had heard. नेताजी सुभाष चंद्र बोस के रिश्तेदार सूर्या बोस का कहना है कि नेताजी की पत्नी मरते दम तक यही मानती रही जब भी इनके परिवार के लोग जर्मनी में उनसे मिलने जाते वो नेताजी की मौत की मिस्ट्री से जुड़े कई खुलासे करती थी जर्मन जर्नलिस्ट रायमोन श्नावल Now Raymond Schnabel told her that according to his KGB sources he had heard that Subhash Bose was in Russia he was in a concentration camp and he was being slowly poisoned and he was gradually losing his mind this was a great shock to my grand aunt you know so this is where we found the possibility of the unknown angle and it's it's very very plausible the uh, pandiji's letter which he referred to he showed you just now that pandiji had written a letter that there is no direct and precise evidence that subhash post tried to plane crash he gave another reasoning ki why uh, the plane crash theory is accurate he said ki if he is alive why is he not coming out so that is also one of the reasoning which government of india has been giving all the while directly and indirectly if he was alive then why did not he come back alive Now, there also, of course, there are, of course, one dimension I want to highlight. Uh, even though we are uh, hinting at the psychological trauma part, Atul Sen referred to him was made that he was the first person to have met uh, Gumnami Baba in 1962, and after meeting him, he happened to write a letter to Prime Minister Nehru. And this letter we have obtained from the government of India under RTI. And this let this so they were aware from that point in time, 62 onwards. And after meeting this person, he approached Mr. Nehru. even though this gumnami uh, baba was not in favor of you know informing mr nehru at least because he did not like nehru at all but he wrote to mr nehru and this is what's coming on record that according to atul sen that he met subhash chandra bose in 1962 he was very much alive he is yet regarded quote he is yet regarded according to him he is yet regarded as enemy number of the allied powers and there is a secret protocol to that binds the government of india to deliver him to the allied justice it found the line now this would ring a bell to you because i think almost all of us grown up hearing a conspiracy theory in this country that there was some kind of a protocol you know when power was transferred to indian hands in 1947 there were some secret deals because this is subject matter which is not discussed publicly in our country because very shady thing the whole transfer of power which we call as independence day that is called transfer of power in legal terms and in that thing there was some kind of a secret deal and it's been alleged publicly and openly and i'm sure all of you must be aware of it that uh, and what part of the deal was that subhash chandra bose would be you know handed over to the british or probably tried as a war criminal and this was stated for example by one of netaji's you know uh, bodyguard usman patel before a commission of inquiry that indian top leaders were aware of it and they were complicit in that uh, thing so i do not know this is a conspiracy theory but now that we have come to this gumnami baba angle and now that we have a report of a leading american handling expert now that we can demonstrate that their dna was forged now we have so much of data we you know in fact can't even go through it There's so many letters so many details are available so we have to look into it very of course this this issue so the problem now is that in last couple of years documents have been declassified in uk and one thing has become clear that we did have secret d some some secret you know 
issues were there there were some secret you know discussions or there were some secret clauses of the transfer of power so only one clause is known today and that clause is key under the that, that secret arrangement one officer of the british intelligence was set you know set up in delhi and he stayed here until 1968 he was given title of the security liaison officer slo and government of india especially the intelligence bureau dutifully supplied all intelligence to him and this continued until 1968 while no one of nobody was aware there was never any 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 mention by government of india anywhere no discussion nowhere and this was under this clause issue uh, intelligence concerning subhash chandra in today's time there we we hear about you know facebook sharing your data with somebody else and we become mad raving mad you know thinking why should some my data be shared with companies but here intelligence about subhash chandra bose and his family after independence was shared with the british intelligence so this was happening so what gumrami baba has been talking about the war criminal angle and other issues it cannot be it's, it's not exactly a fragment of mention there is something very hideous in this whole issue because we tried our best when this issue was flagged in media 2 3 years back we asked question i mean filed even rti with the government of india seeking clarity what exactly you know you were doing with them please give us an answer there is no answer from government side they completely shut up so this is something which the country has to now find an answer maybe courts can the compel government of india if you had secret dealings with you know the british a transfer power why did you not divert them all because now that we do know they were secret deals because british have agreed to at least one of them which is the sharing of intelligence so this is how the you know case is now uh, uh, we were given about one and a half hours to discuss so i thought we cannot put in so can't pack so many things because there are so many details i mean we do not know how to start where to go but this is how the case stand today we have been able to put together everything in a book and there is going to be movie on this issue movies are the best ways to you know make any issue reach you know um, um, general public audience we recently had the case of tashkan files making lal bahadur issue very very well known now this will be a book a movie which will be based on a book will be completely focused on gunami baba the movie is due, due out in 2020 january subhash bose's birth anniversary and this i believe uh, so we have couple of months before gumnami baba becomes a rage in this country because government can ignore books people can ignore books but they can't ignore movies so maybe in time to come we will have much more discussion on this issue than we have today thank you very much for your time thank you.